Hear that? Believe it or not, summer is just around the corner. Luckily, Armorall, America's most trusted auto appearance brand, has what your car needs to get that perfect summer shine. Plus, now through May 31st, we'll give you $5 for every $20 you spend on Armorall products. That means car wash pods, protectant, tire shine, you name it. Find out how to get your $5 rebate at Armorall.com. Armorall, less work, more clean. Terms apply. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Wearing a men's warehouse outfit makes you confident, like you could do anything. So you dance like no one is watching, even though everyone is watching. Because of the men's warehouse outfit, you interview like the job is already yours because it is. Because of the men's warehouse outfit, you golf as if the rules don't apply to you because you're too well-dressed for rules. Because of the men's warehouse outfit. At Men's Warehouse, get measured, get fitted, get hot, get confident in everything from tailored suits to underwear and all the stuff in between. Love the way you look at Men's Warehouse. If you went on a road trip and you didn't stop for a Big Mac or drop a crispy fry between the car seats or use your McDonald's bag as a placemat, then that wasn't a road trip. It was just a really long drive. At participating McDonald's. Hello and welcome to the Bike Radar podcast, brought to you from the team behind Cycling Plus, MBUK and BikeRadar.com. Hello there, welcome to the Bike Radar podcast. I'm Tom Marvin, one of the tech heads at Bike Radar, and with me today is uh, Warren Roster, Senior Road Technical Editor. Hello. And we've got Robin Weaver, who is our Technical Editor-in-Chief, who spends a lot of time on mountain bikes. Hello. So we've got a a slightly new format for the podcast today. We've been looking at some of the more recent uh, product releases that have come out on both road and mountain bikes, and and we think they're sort of indicative um, of trends that are... uh, becoming more and more prevalent within cycling. So we thought on a semi-regular basis, we're going to look at some of the more recent product reviews, uh, product releases, um, and think about what sort of what they're telling us about where the bike industry is going, what's happening, um, and what's going on. So um, we'll probably start with a road one, which is, well, you, you want to sort of say the end of the era road bike, is that right, Warren? Um, yeah, sort of, sort of. I mean, it's a it, this is a trend that kind of started... Um, a couple of years back, really, we saw, saw the first kind of nebulous kind of emergence of it. And it's just as as all the big brands have learned more and more about aerodynamics. And, you know, they're combining that kind of aero design with CFD, so computational fuel, fluid dynamic, dynamic software. All the big brands have all got, you know, you know, sort of state-of-the-art stuff for this. And they've all kind of come up with these libraries of tube shapes, which, you know, they can almost kit build a, a frame and, and develop from that. So it started with something like the... SL6 Tarmac, which introduced lots of aero tubes onto what is a lightweight race bike. And, you know, then you've got, you know, brands like Canyon with the Ultimate um, and the Ultimate Evo, where they, they've put a bit of aero into the frame design, put some aero parts on it. Um, so it's that classic lightweight race bike is now getting more aerodynamic. And the big launches that we've seen so far this year, so that's Trek Amanda SLR, that's Trek's super lightweight bike. They've made it much, much more aero. BMC's team machine again. They're super lightweight, tall, winning bike. 
this latest iteration much more aero. And our current bike of the year, Cannondale Super 6 Evo, they reinvented the Evo and made it much more aero. So, um, you know, I I am sort of forecasting that it's the end of the dedicated aero road bike because you're just not getting that many, um, that much, the, the big, the gains you're getting from aero with the increase in weight seem to be being outweighed now by having a light bike that's also aero. So it's sort of the, the do-it-all race bike. Uh, you know, we've talked a lot in the pod about the niche, nicheification. Is that is that a word? I don't know. Of you know, both mountain bikes and road bikes, and and, and we've talked again in the past about them sort of converging. And this is sort of th- that sort of embodied. I think so. Yeah, I think so. Definitely, definitely. I mean, you know, uh, and it's got to be a good thing. It's that kind of it. It it, it simplifies choice for everybody, and. You know, you don't have to think, oh, I want something aerodynamic, but I've got to have a trade-off and the bike's going to be heavier. Now you can just have that kind of one chassis that's light and aero. If you want to go more aero, you can put a deeper section wheel on it. You know, if you want to go super light climbing, you put a skinny, you know, short you know, short depth wheel, you know, rim on it. Um, so you've got these um, uh, more options, but in um, a more concise form. How have they managed to keep the weight down on those then? Was well, you're seeing um, lots of real kind of step forward in, in carbon innovation. If you look at something like the new giant TCR, um, the new advanced SL, they've come up with a whole new method of, of actually producing that frame. Um, they seem to have put a massive amount of investment into it. You know, they're, they're weaving their own carbon. Um, and so they're creating almost like these 3D forms rather than lots of different matted sheets that are putting together. They've introduced robots for the construction, so it's massively more accurate. There's no excess going into it there's a new resin that's gone into it uh, uh, and giant have been pretty open about what they're doing um trek uh, they've got a whole new oclv carbon that's on the new amanda slr which again is a super light bike you know sub 700 gram frame set which is remarkable for a disc frame set um but they're a bit more tight lipped how they're doing it but i wouldn't be surprised you know this this kind of tech shifts around and and it's taken on by most people, you know. So when you talk about the layout, does that change from frame size to frame size? Yes. Yeah, they've, they've completely worked on um, equalising how the bike feels irrespective of size. So, you know, um, the, the, whole, the whole method, the whole layout, the whole mapping of how that frame's put together changes between sizes. Oh, that's cool. So do you think that if we're looking at a, a Grand Tour, and, you know, this, well, not, not this year maybe, but next year, we might see teams outside of the TTs just running one frame set? I think that's the aim. You know, um, obviously racing's taken a massive hit this year with the whole COVID thing. So um, expenditure's still there. They've still got to pay their riders, but but they're not getting any, any winnings from racing or any of the exposure for sponsors. So I think apart from those big trade-owned teams, you know, that are actually part and parcel of the bike brands um everybody's got to look to to minimize costs and if that means they've only got to get 50 50 bikes rather than 100 um they're going to do it okay um let's we're going to try and keep this fairly snappy so let's move on to um on to, on to rob obviously in terms of suspension we're looking at the opposite end of the scale now we've done skinny road bikes now we're going big burly mountain bikes um we've seen two new forks uh, from the big two fork manufacturers uh, the fox 38 uh, and the rockshock zeb so rob why are these sort of significant and what do you think they are showing in the mountain bike market i guess it's 
I guess it's a couple of things. Well, there's a couple of reasons as as to why these have come about. I think partly down to the fact that, um, you know, if you look, if you watch any of the stages on the Enduro World Series now and you see how hard the top men and women, women are pushing the bikes, I'm sure that uh, using or having a slightly stiffer fork will get them some kind of gain or marginal gain at least. Um, and it's not that the other forks like the Lyric or the 36 were particularly flimsy. I think for most for most riders, they were totally fine, especially um, riders of my weight. So, you know, with my riding kit on, I think I'm about 68 kilos. So it was never that I was finding them um, inaccurate or, you know, twanging about here, there and everywhere. But I think um, anyone maybe a little bit heavier who could push the bikes really hard, like all of these races, would probably notice that a little more. And being able to create a stiffer fork that essentially tracks the terrain a bit better and, and could actually get you a bit more traction, you know, that's what that's what all the racers are after at the end of the day. Being able to, um, you know, hold on and, and hold that tight line or whatever it might be just to shave milliseconds off their overall time. So the, these two forks, they both have a 38mm stanchion-based chassis, which is obviously a couple of mil bigger than, as I say, the Lyric and the 36, but it's it's still smaller than the Fox 40 downhill fork, you know, the triple clamp thing, which, you know, the World Cup races ride. I, I'm not sure what the Boxer is. Is that, is that is 40 or is that... That's 35, yeah. is it? Okay, so <clears throat> it's still a, it's, it's a big, stiff Enduro fork. Do you think there's a risk that it could go too stiff? You know, have they tried to tune it so that you get the benefits of the stiffness where you need it, but not where you don't? So, um, oh, and I, I was going to say as well, so the other thing that, the other reason why these have come about is um, the use of e-bikes. Whereas before, mm-hmm. brands like Fox have um, essentially used their, the same fork, but changed maybe the, the stanchions or the crown to make it a bit stiffer in order to handle the e-bike use. Whereas now we've got dedicated forks, which can just be used on either and should totally, you know, be fine no matter what the application. Um, as to your question about going too stiff. Yeah, you, you absolutely can go too stiff. Um, I remember when I first rode uh, the Fox 40. So God, I can't remember when that came out. First one I rode was probably around, 2007 maybe 2006 2007 and coming off the boxer back then um it was really apparent just how stiff that fork was so you know it the it still worked relatively well uh, it was just a case of uh you needed to get used to how much it would deflect through the handlebars and how much you'd feel through your hands and, and it would mean as well maybe at times you were trying to muscle the bike onto a line rather than it being a bit more forgiving and compliant and just sort of conforming to the terrain. Instead, you were getting a lot more feedback. So you would do stuff like alter spring rates, tire pressures, stuff like that to sort of get around it. A little bit like um, maybe when you would run uh, carbon wheels for the first time, you know, Mm -hmm. the old carbon wheels, which were pretty stiff and not particularly compliant. And it would... It would really rattle you. And I think, you know, there was there was obviously a risk of going down that route. But by the sounds of things, both brands are obviously, you know, they're really savvy. They know what they're doing and, and they know that they're trying to 
for the top guys and the top women in the world. They're trying to create a fork that not only is going to, you know, have a really effective damping, but also be incredibly comfortable. If the run is over 10 or 15 minutes, for example, just because it works really well, but is actually too stiff and pretty harsh in some situations, those riders' hands are going to be absolutely destroyed and they won't be able to hold on. So the Zeb, for example, um, is actually only 2% stiffer than the Lyric uh, in a four and a half direction. But torsionally, they're claiming, RockShocks are claiming, it's actually 21% stiffer. So it should, in theory, give you more accurate steering and track the ground, you know, and with everything they've done with the, the bushing overlap and stuff like that, it shouldn't, in theory, bind as much and it should work that bit better and be really sensitive. Do you think there's an argument, in, instead of going from a 36 to a 38 and then having a downhill fork at, say, 40 or, or obviously 35 with rock shots, why did they not... Do, do you think there's a reason they didn't go down the line of making, like, an enduro, you know, dual crown fork? Why not just stick a, a paired-down boxer or a paired-down 40 um, onto an enduro bike? Um, I don't really know, to be honest. I guess there is the argument that... Um, even just by upping the stiffness, you're increasing weight over the, you know, the the current model. Um, but by going dual crown, maybe it's maybe it's a step too far for some of the races. Who I can't imagine they're all really, you know, counting every single gram. But you know, maybe some of them are, and maybe the consumers are as well. You know, they've still got to sell it, and some people might be put off by the fact that. You've got a jaw crown fork, which is going to limit, you know, steering. Your steering steering lock, exactly, yeah. And um, so then you're going to need some kind of bumpers on the frame or on the fork in order to stop it hitting. And you know, people people don't like change, and so maybe mm-hmm. this is just one step towards it. Who knows? Maybe down the line we are going to see full, you know, jaw crown forks. I mean, Chris Port has been working on yeah. that upgraded 36, which run which runs a jaw crown with their own crowns that he's developed and it could well be that we see that down the line but maybe this is maybe this sort of meets in the middle and is just about enough you know it's the right level of stiffness maybe these are also forgiving enough that you're not going to rattle your teeth out on really rough runs so maybe maybe it doesn't need to go that far okay well we've we've got both um 38 and uh zebs in for testing at the moment so Obviously, have a look on Bike Radar in the coming weeks and months for for reviews of those because um, they're certainly you know interesting forks that will probably make a, a fair bit of an impact on, on the market. I'd have thought. Um, we'll uh, move back to the lighter end uh, of the world, um, and it's wheels. Is that right, Warren? Yeah, yeah. I mean, I, I think uh, this year especially, we're seeing finally seeing the kind of um, the the um, the potential of carbon disc rims um, and disc mm-hmm. wheels on the road actually you know really really coming to the fore you know there have been so many wheel launches this year you've got you know i mentioned the trek and under slr well they they launched a set of bond trader aeolus rsl wheels to to go with that bike it's, you know it's a deep aero wheel um but it weighs 1325 grams a pair you know stupid light um roval you know specialized kind of wheel arm they've got two new wheels just come out they've got the alpinist which is a specialist climbers wheel that's 1,248 grams in a disc. Um, the Rapide, which is their kind of more all-round, deeper section, 1,400 grams. 
you know, Zip brought out a new 303, which is 1,355 grams, super wide internal, so you could use it for gravel as well. Um, Giant, you know, with a relaunch of the Kdex, they're sort of high-end high end imprint. They've got the 42, you know, the new 42, which is a stunning wheel. I've been running that now for about six months, and, it, it you know, it's blown me away. 1,327 grams a pair. And then you've got DT, their specialist climb wheel, the Montchasserelle, you know, 1,260-odd grams for a pair. So... Finally, they've they've kind of they've developed rims specifically for disc and specifically mm-hmm. for tubeless. So they've been able to pare it down. It doesn't need a brake surface. It doesn't need a heavier resin to take any heat in, induction from from rim braking. And we're now seeing the weights just crashing down to the point now where all these big super light bikes that are launching this year, the Amanda, the T Machine, etc., um, in disc format, they're as light as a rim brake bike. You know, right? And so, so you know, the argument for for disc. It, is is getting stronger and stronger almost every day so this is like the um you know like disc brakes really sort of growing up and and having that that market really really sorted out oh yeah completely now you're seeing you know not only specialist wheel brands but the but the big bright brands that that have wheel imprints themselves putting a hell of a lot of r&d time into you know into new wheels so you know we're, we're seeing some really good really really good examples come into the fore is there still reluctance from from the consumers do you think to buy into the disc the disc thing um it's it's hard to judge i think there's a there's a very vocal pro rim brake minority still out there but um you know it's when you speak to the big brands that you know they're they're in, they're in the business of selling bikes if if they could still sell rim brake bikes they'd keep making rim brake bikes but most of these big launches this year very few rim brake options does this tie back to the discussion we had earlier on about, um, you know, maybe there being one effective race frame with a number of different wheel sets then? Oh, definitely. Yeah, definitely. Definitely. I think if you look at that that Roval launch, you know, they launched two, two brand new, much lighter wheels at the same time. The Rapide is their, what they call their all-round wheel. So that's for your fast flat days and, and rolling, you know, um, rolling stages. And then the Alpinist is for, you know, when you've got those big climbs in the, in the high Alps and the high Pyrenees. We discussed in a previous podcast, um, I think it might have been with Matthew, that the the tubeless um, system for road isn't as nailed down as it is for mountain biking. But you, you no. have all these brands releasing these, you know, high-end wheels, which cost a lot of money, which they're not going to want to redesign in six months' time or a year's time. Just mean that for the foreseeable future, we're still going to have this inconsistency between tyre manufacturers, rim manufacturers on what is a tubeless non-standard. Yes, I think we are. Yeah, we definitely are. You know, I think um, there's a lot of there's a lot of just people just covering their backs, I guess. But I think you know the the, the better examples of these new wheel, new wheels, in my own opinion, that we're seeing is stuff like the Kdex and the new Zip three hundred three, where where they've gone to hookless. You know, hookless has been around in mountain biking for so long. It just you know it takes the hassle out of uh, out of seating tires and just makes everything so much so much easier. And you know, even now, like no two hooks ever seem to be the same. So you can get, you know, one particular wheel that works brilliant with one brand of tyre, but then you switch brand the tyre and you have a nightmare just trying to get it to seat or trying to just get it to retain air. So it's something that definitely needs sorting out. But we are seeing, which is a good thing, brands like Kdex and 3T are now um, on their websites. Sometimes they're a little bit buried, but you can go on there and find a recommended list of tyres to work with those particular rims. And those lists seem to be growing as you know as they're trialing and testing more and more options. So, but it's just one of those things that that 
that because we're in the midst of the road is experimenting with tire, um, you know, sort of rim bed width. Um, it's going to take a long time before there's any sort anything sort of uniform because although at the minute the mantra almost seems to be well wider you know a wider rim bed's better it not, isn't necessarily so if you're running a 25c or a 28c tire you don't need a you know a gravel wide rim you know it, it it's actually sort of end up being detrimental to the you know to the performance of that tire so it it's um it, it, it just needs i think i think the consumer just needs more information to be honest which is something mm-hmm. you know 3t have done a really good job of on on um another really exciting new bike this year the exploro race max where they've introduced um um almost like a uh a, a way of working out tire tire and rim width you know they've got ram and wham so it's you know um radius actually measured and width actually measured because no two tires are the same you know um you can't believe what's printed on the side of a tire that is sometimes has no reflection on the actual width of it. So, you know, they've gone out and actually physically measuring what size these tires come up to. So then you can check the clearances on your frame and you can also, well, you know, you can almost understand you get a better feeling for how that tire is going to roll. So. Um, that was going to be my sort of next set of questions really was on, you know, these super lightweight wheels and all that, are they coming with those wider rim beds? But clearly that is a, a discussion and a, and a knowledge that is very intertwined with the tires that then are going to be yeah. run on the, we have it with mountain biking, you know, you yeah. wouldn't run a, a 2.6 inch tire on a 25 mil rim unless you want it to be wobbling all over the place. But yeah. I guess that's something that the road market probably needs to suss out themselves a bit. Yeah, completely. You know, if you're looking at two of the, you know, the biggest wheel launches this year, so the 303, that's got a 25 mil internal dimension. Um, whereas the Kdex 42 it's a much more traditional 19 and a half. Now, 19 and a half is optimized for a 25 or a 28. You know, going up to a 25, you know, you can go up to 35, 40, you know, much more comfortably. So it is, I think everybody's just got to get a bit more, you've got to do a bit more research, I guess, uh, uh, mm-hmm. and to sort of just understand, A, what you want, and, um, you know, B, which is best for you, and uh, and work it from that, really. So... Well, then um, we'll jump on to the, the last sort of planned topic, at least, and that's um, downcountry bikes, Rob. Mm, yes. Um, it's, a, it's a new thing, isn't it? Which is, uh, And we have to give credit, I think, to Pink Bike for coming up with the downcountry term, because I, I think they, they popularised it at the very least. Yeah, I think it was Mike Levy who, uh, who first sort of mentioned it, and it's, it really sort of snowballed from then. But, yeah, I mean... They're really cool bikes. It's one of those things where, you know, we talk about it all the time where we say, you know, you don't need a bike with tons and tons of travel to ride pretty much most of the stuff in the UK, for example, you know, um, because the bikes now have got really capable geometry, really capable suspension, and they're full of parts that will handle, you know, a hell of a lot of abuse. And so I think these are... This is a really cool new category. It feels like that, you know, I think it started out as they were sort of almost like jacked up cross country bikes. And then slowly, I think, especially when we're going on launches, if they were, you know, a cross country launch, you would ride with some of the engineers who, who would have the same bike, but they'd probably put a longer fork on, you know, with a bit more, with, you know, 10 more, more travel to help slacken the front end out make it a little bit more forgiving on the front, maybe something like a dropper post or, um, 
wider rims and tires and all of a sudden that bike you know it isn't just a outright race bike that you want to ride for you know hour and a half two hours hard every sunday it becomes a a more usable trail bike that you could take to a trail center or just you know thrash around your local single track where it's you know it isn't going to be holding you back and all of a sudden we've we slow you well I would say it wasn't slow as such, but all of a sudden it feels like we've now got this this sort of wave of these new bikes coming in, um, like the Scalpelessi, which I think you've ridden a fair old bit, like the Epic Evo. So, I mean, those bikes are, what, 110, 120 mil in terms of travel, maybe. But they pretty much always have like a 120 mil fork, I think. And then yeah. head angles vary from about... 66 to 67 i know i rode the uh the synonym tr1 from ns mm-hmm. which is they have so they have a, an xc version of that but this is this is the the slacked out bike and you know and that thing has a has a head angle of seven uh, sorry 66 degrees and in size large it has a reach of 490 mil so you need to <laughs> yeah so it's designed to be paired with you know a shorter stem for more reactive steering and um, all of the bikes we've just mentioned come with dropper posters standards, you know, wider tires with a taller tread. Um, and, and they're meant to, you know, they're designed to be that bit more aggressive that, you know, and to be ridden that bit harder than a regular cross country bike. Um, I mean, you, you've ridden a fair share. What do you think of them? Yeah, I've ridden the so the Yeti SB one one five is a bike I've been riding a fair bit recently, mm-hmm. and that that exactly as you described with the engineers going out and sticking a longer fork and a dropper post on their XC bike was basically how the one one five came about. They had the SB one hundred XC bike, um, and you know even in their you know speaking to Yeti, that's you know what they said is their lunch ride bikes was the engineers had the SB one hundred, but they stuck a one twenty fork in. They stuck a longer stroke shock, but the same eye to eye. And ended up with this 115 mil at the back, 120 at the front, um, and they've. I think they've tweaked it. You know, the, the linkages especially for the the 115 to get the kinematic right. But it's it's basically, yeah, a slightly longer travel race bike, but with a, a minion on the front and an aggressor on the back. A Fox 34, really, I guess, is almost and that new Sid um, with the 35 mil stanchions. They're almost like the the defining characteristics of of these down country bikes. Yeah. Um, the the Cannondale yeah Scalpel SE I've ridden a little bit it's a little bit small for me um, and I haven't had a chance on the Epic but you know it, it seems that there's it's a it's a new sort of segment but it still seems that companies are going about them in slightly different ways like you know talking about the 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 NS there the synonym with its huge reach like was it four ninety yeah. saying a large uh, the flip side, you've still got you know the the, the scalpel and uh, I say effectively the um, the Yeti are basically the same frames just with longer stroke shocks and forks, and that actually makes the geometry shorter mm. than the than the XC bike it came. So I think you lose about five mil there or thereabouts by adding that longer travel. So there's still some of them are very small trail bikes, both in terms of travel and their geometry. And some of them are obviously pushing the envelopes a little bit as to what you can expect out of these shorter travel bikes. I mean, the the new transition as well. Yeah. Brilliant, like super up-to-date geometry. So it seems that you either give a bit of a burliness to the XC bike or you're making a, a small trail bike that actually has all the, the facets that you'd expect from an XC bike. I mean, yeah, it's, it is really interesting. And I think, um, 
I really appreciated having a Mondraker F podium. I got I got mm. one at home with a new Sid fitted, and um, yeah, during lockdown where we were just you know it was short hour hour and a half ride straight from the door. Where I live, it's you have to spend quite a bit of time on the road in order to get to the trails, and that thing that thing's pretty light. But as soon as you get to the trails, you know, drop the saddle down. I've got you know two point four inch tires on there. I've got a short stem, a wide bar, all the things that you know we would have on a, a regular trail bike but obviously it's way lighter and you end up you end up just having a great time okay yeah maybe it's not as planted or as um stable in some situations as a a more full-on trail slash enduro bike but that's part of the fun i think where where you mm. can go and ride the same trails it's a little bit like riding a gravel bike some ways if you're a mountain biker you could ride the same trails on a gravel bike, for example, and all of a sudden, because the bike, you know, isn't quite as capable as a full-on mountain bike, those trails become a bit more interesting, you know, a bit sketchier and a bit more fun. And I think to a degree it's the same on these. They can handle, you know, these downcountry bikes can handle all of that stuff. It might just be a bit more of an engaging ride, which I, I genuinely really enjoy. The the Yeti, it's probably the bike I've ridden the most in the past month, and when I first received it, I was a bit, you know, I sort of liked the look of it and thought, oh, this could be quite fun, but I actually didn't expect to really quite like it. And it has its flaws. It's not a perfect bike, but I jumped between that and um, I've got a Hope HB 130, which is, you know, it's a 130, so it's only a little bit more travel, but it's a very different bike in terms of its feel through the suspension and, it, and its geometry. And jumping between the two, the difference couldn't be more stark. And I think taking the, that Yeti on trails, which maybe are a little bit more mellow, um, that I've ridden on the hope and just feel a bit dead. That Yeti's sort of brought them brought them back to life. So would you say then that the kind of down country thing is a bike that you wouldn't have to travel as much on? You can sort of ride your local, more natural trails rather than having to go to a bike park or or a trail centre. Yeah. And, and get the same sort of kicks from it. Yeah. I mean I think yeah, just as you said, it's it's sort of you don't go out and, you know, if you had a full-on XC bike, you would go and you could go and ride all that stuff and it'd be absolutely fine, totally fine on the road, totally fine off-road. But you probably can't, well, personally, I can't maybe push it quite as hard when I do get off-road just because you've got a fixed seat post, saddle right up, probably got maybe, I don't know, a flat bar, really low-treaded tyres, a flexi fork, little disc rotors, stuff like that that, you know the bit i enjoy is riding down and going downhill as fast as i can so if i've got all these things you know a grippier tire bigger disc rotors a dropper post so the saddle's right out of the way um all of those things add up and just make it a more enjoyable experience when i do get off-road but it doesn't really feel like it's holding me back while i'm kind of commuting to the trails so yeah i think i think it does open up those sort of possibilities you know i've got mates i got mates um that work in you know, similar jobs to us. And I know that they spend tons of time, you know, on, on these types of bikes. They've got all the bikes they could, you know, possibly ever wish to choose from, but the bikes they'll probably ride the most are these, this sort of new breed of um, Peps Up XC bikes. They're just super versatile. You know, you, you can ride 
really fun tracks that maybe are fairly steep, but maybe not the steepest ones. But you can also, as I say, get get to the tracks. You can go for a longer, you know, you could go out all day on these bikes without feeling like you're, you know, lugging a sofa around, which can be a bit sort of disheartening on on a bigger trail bike. And you can, I mean, and you can take them to the bike park. They're not, you know, when... They're not incapable. Yeah, totally. Yeah, when the SB100 launched, I took it out and, and rode some black runs at Bike Park Wales. And, you know, don't get me wrong, there were times when properly on the limit of the bike in terms of suspension travel and stuff like that. But it was still really fun. Don't get me wrong, you know, and, and especially fun on the the super fast um, blues and reds where those bikes maybe roll a bit quicker than your average enduro bike, for example. So rollers and um, sections of trail where maybe on the enduro bike you were going so slow that you'd have to sprint in order to try and gap something. All of a sudden you're rolling that bit quicker that these, you know, gaps and rollers and all this stuff just becomes that bit easier. Sorry, I've, I've just got to interrupt. We're talking about brand new tech. I've just had UPS arrive with a bike under embargo, so I'm just going to have to jump out for a sec. Cheers, <laughs> well, we'll, we'll probably wrap it up was, uh, with, with that anyway, but uh, thanks for your time, was, and then All we'll right. speak to you in the next one. Speak to you later. <laughs> All right, Rob. So, um, yeah, totally agree. Um, they're probably a, a bike that you know suits a lot of people who maybe wouldn't have looked at them. It's, it's They're worth having a look yeah, at. Yeah, definitely, definitely. And I think as they become more popular the brands will probably invest a bit more and you'll start to see a few cheaper options out there. I think that's maybe one of the only drawbacks at the minute because there aren't quite so many available. They tend to be the maybe the pricier ones around. So hopefully yeah. we'll see those those ranges expand and, and the variation in price increase. Wicked. Well, just like Was has had to run off, I'm going to have to run off as well because, as luck would have it, I'm about to go to a, a product presentation for a new downcountry bike. So um, <laughs> we'll bring you news for that on, on Bike Radar very soon. Um, so, yeah, thanks, Rob, for your time there. No worries, mate. Thanks. All right. Bye, Rob. Thank you for listening to the Bike Radar podcast. If you want any more information on what we've been talking about or more news and views on cycling, check out bikeradar.com. Bye.